0: 18 plus.
1: 18 plus to theater geeks anonymous the podcast about broadway flops scandals and new work now we'll take a break from our usual episodes to bring you this intermission (sighs)
0: so
1: is my sound level okay i'm not too loud yeah i i went back to the old microphone because the other ones I tried yeah it was crackly and I'm tired of it so I bought two and neither one ever yeah. worked well so I, I remember boo but you're back <laughs> oh well I can hear you I'm back you don't crackle yeah Great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like because like to us to you and me Ebony yeah ha- it's been a very long time since we've but recorded the- it's
1: it's been months but to the listeners, it's probably been a couple weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. We just like, it's only like we took a couple
2: weeks off and then, but like we had a really good cache of, of, of episodes to put in there and it was, yeah, this was good. I think we should do that again. <laughs> it was good. It was smash it was, that helped us out so much.
1: Totally. It was totally smash. And I, as, as I was preparing for this one, I thought. And I don't know if we can do this, but like, I'm, I'm desperate to do some sort of like, I was like, I wondered how much we could do on like criminals of the theater. Okay. We should look because, into that. Because, you know, we're definitely going to, since this episode is technically an intermission episode, and we're going to mm-hmm. talk about Broadway being back, yeah. Broadway's back, but is it better? Right. You know, there's a, a criminal coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. I, as we were, as I was like reading uh, the articles about him returning and it made me go back to, and I talk about her a lot, Adela yeah, and her story. I, so I went back to the New York times article, which was her, uh, for her obituary early in 2020. And there was like still more stuff that I was like, wait, I didn't know that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I didn't know that. And it's just so fascinating. And I just wish like. Like I would just love to do a deep dive on these people, since both of us love true crime. Totally. And they're both, you know, so many of them are usually also associated with flops. Yeah. Well, they uh,
2: would have to be flops because you're you're starting on a a foundation of fraud. We oh, that's that should be the name of the series: Foundation Foundation of Fraud. Of
1: fraud. <laughs> Okay. That's what we're calling it.
2: it. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um also I had another idea too. And yeah. this can be something that we run by our listeners. Let us know. So for for Ebony's idea, this is great. If you can think of someone who is a criminal or you know, even if they've never been brought to justice, if there is something mm-hmm. in their past that points to fraud, let us know. I, I'm supremely interested in that. We've also got a list forming just based mm-hmm. on the, the the musicals that we've done in the past. Yeah. But I was also thinking because Smash was so fun to do. Yeah, there are movie musicals out there. Yeah, that are. Uh, what's a politic way of saying they suck? <laughs> They're, right. They're not good. I mean, they're yeah. just, you know, some of them were made poorly. Some of them were yeah. kind of slapdashed together. And I feel like the ones that have been made most recently are the ones that are the worst. And that should not be because we have a host Of really amazingly talented people that just keep being looked over because they're just theater, quote unquote, right? right. uh, in favor of people that are are obviously bigger names, right? Yeah. Um, Which, okay. And I'm going to say blanket statement. That does not necessarily mean that the people that they are hiring are not talented, but they don't fit into the character that they've been hired for or right, right. their voice isn't right for it, which is, that's fair. You could be, you could be 90% perfect for the character, but if your voice mm-hmm. isn't right for it, you shouldn't be cast. Okay. Right.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. And in some of these cases, when the musical was written for the stage, it was written for one particular person. Right. And so that a lot particip- of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So when that person inhabits the role that was written for them, they're perfect, but mm-hmm. then Like you said, it's sort of a funny enough, it's sort of a Julie Andrews type situation. Yeah. Well, they'll say, well, that person isn't, it's, they're not, they don't have a big enough name or they're not pretty enough or whatever to be in the movie. And then the movie's not as good because it really should have been the person who it was written for.
0: So, I mean,
2: and this is one fascinates me because I just saw a TikTok about this a couple weeks ago <laughs> about Marnie Nixon. Now, I know I've known about Marnie Nixon forever. You probably have, too, just because that's what we used to watch as we, when we were kids. We watched those old movie musicals. And yeah. Marnie Nixon is the singing voice for the bulk of those movie musicals. So you're talking yeah. West Side Story. She voiced Maria. She voiced yeah. uh, Eliza Doolittle in um
1: <laughs> oh my gosh what's the name my of fair lady.
2: my fair lady <laughs> yeah. oh man um but she did a lot of those those voices and and that actually happened quite frequently and yeah. uh marnie nixon was the most notable but i'm sure it happened elsewhere so that could be another oh, series totally. that we do that would be yeah. fun
1: if you all haven't watched there's a great documentary about gwen Verdon. i found out about it by uh, listening to an episode of behind the curtain And uh, in it, she reveals that she was the, if you watch Singing in the Rain and you watch the scene where um, he's singing, Singing in the Rain, Mm -hmm. the tapping (laughs) is not his tapping. So like the sound (laughs) of the tapping is not actually Gene, it's actually Gwen Verdon and a lot that. of people don't know that yeah. now this is this is an interesting thing because of course gene could dance like yeah. nobody's disputing that right but um i i'm not even 100 percent sure exactly why they just didn't have him do the folio work well i've got a conjecture about that okay and i think i might have me. actually mentioned it at the same
2: time because, that you told me this story about
1: because he was sick maybe right so when he was yeah. filming so he's like a
2: perfectionist to the hundredth degree. Right. And so he would do take after take after take until he felt that he, he was perfect. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like there's the story of doing, um, good morning, good morning, doing that dance number over and over again until Debbie Reynolds feet were bleeding. So it's like, he was just a perfectionist and each time he did it, he had to do it in the rain every single Mm -hmm. time. And he got really, really sick and i think he was down for the count for a while i don't know the exact number but it was it was a while enough so i do wonder if maybe that is why
1: yeah i mean that's it's a good conjecture i mean they- he was
2: he was in the rain enough that the wool suit he wore in that scene shrunk on his body
1: <laughs> oh my goodness jeez the things
2: people did and see here's the thing You hear that story and you're like, oh, wow, Gene, he was a workhorse. He was great. No, that's toxic. That is is. toxic. You do not work yourself to death. You do not work yourself to a point where you've got pneumonia. You don't work yourself until the point where your clothes no longer fit you because they've shrunk because of the rain that you're dancing in. Like These are not normal things. There's another story about, um, I think the movie is Swing Time with Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. Where they did the tap, num- the big number at the end, where they're dancing up and down the big staircase. Yeah, they did that thing I think seventy six times no. until Ginger Rogers' feet again were bleeding, and that's because uh, Fred Astaire was also this raging perfectionist. And that's like that's okay. You can be a perfectionist, but someone should have said, "Hey, you know what? We're not going to do this anymore today. Yeah, we can come back again tomorrow." <laughs> yeah when is enough enough (laughs) you think you know like people will say it all the time they're like oh you get to do what you love for a living you can't ask for money as well like that's the big thing in theater right you're not supposed to make a living wage because you're just doing art which is so ridiculous
1: right oops (laughs) oh no sorry
2: little disaster just a moment all (laughs) right that's better
1: I was gonna add to that, like it's ridiculous, especially what we've just been through, mm-hmm. and that's how people survived as entertainment. Yeah. I feel like I've said this until I'm blue in the face, but it's absolutely essential. It's essential work. Yes,
2: it is essential.
1: <laughs> I
2: completely, one hundred percent agree, and this will lead us into part of what this intermission So is about. Yeah. But mm-hmm. these these thousands of people who have done nothing but entertain us and create art for us and for our benefit, yeah. right? They mm-hmm. were out of work for a year and a half or more, right? Yeah. And nobody helped them. They didn't have a single support system to back them up. And I think that is tragic.
1: Oh, it to- it it really is. We, you know, there were now that's not to say, cause like, for example, there definitely was, um, there's the actors fund, the Broadway, read right, the actors Broadway fund, cares. Mm-hmm. Broadway cares. Um, and then also, um, uh, the team, oh goodness. Now I'm blanking, uh, be an arts hero. Okay. Um, again, three actors though, who were like, do and continue, because all three of them are still doing this work, because a lot of venues are not okay. You yeah. know, it's like, this is one of the things about Broadway, not just Broadway, but like theater in general, like being back, is that like, things are still, things are not okay. No. Just because there's things a, are quote unquote old, back. Right. No, there's a big old band over okay. everything. Right. Right. And I think the
2: Band-Aid and, is meant to more cover up the toxicity than anything.
1: Oh, totally. And so the thing that a lot of people, including myself, and I i think Pamela as well, the thing that we were most concerned about is like people rushing back and saying, well, we just need to get back. We just need to get back because we lost right. this money. We just need to get back. Right. And. You know, COVID was this amazing opportunity if yeah. you took it, if you took it, to be reflective, mm-hmm. to think about your life, to think about your choices and say, okay, this is a reset button. So, how am I going to start anew mm-hmm. and not use the old systems and old ways of working to fund things, to move things along and to uh, cause harm to individuals and so it's interesting because the thing I that that so many of us were worried about is people like saying we just need to get back we just need to get back and old systems still being yeah <laughs> used it's like well that almost two years was literally for us to learn right that's the point of that time
2: <laughs> uh, I liken it to like an asbestos abatement, right? You would never open up a wall, see that there's asbestos and just drywall over it again, right? No, right. you you bring right. in specialists. They safely and efficiently take out every bit of asbestos. They clean everything from top to bottom and then they right. restore the house, right? Yeah. This is what we should have done. And you had yeah. a year and a half in which to do it because there were no stakes You didn't have to worry about closing a house. You didn't have to worry about lost wages because they were already being lost. Right. Right. You didn't have a loss of profit because there was no profit to lose. Right. Right. This was the perfect Mm -hmm. opportunity to really systematically unlink each chain and say, which one's the bad one, which one can stay. And nobody did that. Instead, instead of being reflective, as you said, they were reactive. And I think that is the true tragedy of all of this in a toxic relationship. And, and I would further Mm -hmm. suggest that this goes to this whole idea of systemic racism in this country, right? Right. There's Mm -hmm. no way to just put up a drywall and have everything be okay. It all has to be abated. We have to take it down to the guys. Yes. There's black mold. In some cases, you may be able to take it down to the studs. And in others, you have to completely level it. Yeah. Right? And same mm-hmm. is true of theater. For, the, for some of the same reasons. Yeah. For a bulk of the same reasons. Yeah. And and we have there, Ebony has sent me story after story and article <laughs> after article, uh, baselining it, saying, yeah. you know, this is a reason And this is a reason, and this is a reason why theater has become complete, not even become completely toxic. Why theater has been completely toxic, and we are no longer willing to overlook it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because it's not about the bottom line when the bottom line excludes half of the people that could be involved.
1: Right, right. I mean, honestly, three quarters, because Mm -hmm. the only people who are safe... Even in this, white men, you know, <laughs> gay yeah. men,
2: white gay men. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. Yeah.
1: And um, one of the things I was struck by um, is, you know, the Tony Awards. Pamela and I did a, uh, you know, the nominations last year, <laughs> and usually it we'll do like, so like long a follow-up. Ago. I know. I know. It was. I mean, because it was a really long time ago. I mean, it was October 2020 when the nominations came out.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: You know, and they said December 2020 they were going to do a thing, and they didn't. Nope. Yeah. (laughs) So it was. It was like a year since we did it. Yeah. More than Um, a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a year since we did it, and then they had them because they had them like the beginning of October. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so usually Pamela and I will do an intermission. So that talks about the winners and what we think about it and that whole thing. Um, I can speak for myself and saying, I didn't even watch them. I didn't either. I'm so glad that you said that. Cause I came
2: to this going, Oh shoot. Like she's going to have all of this to say. And I'll be like, I couldn't get on. I couldn't log into Param- Paramount plus to save my yeah. life. And then I was like, whatever. I'm just, I don't want to. I don't feel like it anymore. (laughs) Is that your reaction to?
1: Well, I, the minute I heard they were splitting them up and there was going to be a paywall. I was angry and decided I wasn't watching.
2: Yeah. That's
1: that's what happened for me because I, I said, we've been shut down nearly two years. People have had no income. There are people who are homeless, who weren't homeless this time last year. There are people who are jobless. I mean, I, I, I I was like to put something that's usually free behind a paywall was unconscionable to me, frankly, completely. And I was like, I will, I can't, I love Broadway. I love theater. I have friends who were there on stage who went to the show. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't support what the Broadway league and what the American theater wing chose to do. I can't. no. Not with what's gone on these last couple of years. And the fact, that,
2: that's why very you're much-, much. Yeah. And, and, and rightfully so. I think when it all came down to it, I was unwilling to support system, or, excuse me. I was unwilling to support something that yeah. didn't feel like it was supporting the theater. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? It was such a weird, like, I was like, Oh, I have to stream. (sighs) Okay. Okay. Whatever. And so I tried to sign on. I tried to get the free trial. It was a disaster. And I was like, well, I've already missed part of it. So I guess I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just watch the CBS one. And then I was like, whatever, I'm just going to watch something else. it was was so frustrating but then also it was reading one of the articles that you sent me that was written by someone who was nominated but i can't remember who it was i don't think i saw the byline when i read it but he was saying or she i don't even know was uh was pointing to the fact that it's really all about profit Uh, i think this
1: was the karen olivo uh article because she was she was nominated. was nominated. Okay, then maybe she, it was. not watching. Yeah, she didn't even yeah, watch. Yeah, I didn't read yeah. the byline.
2: I just read the article itself. And so in it, it mm-hmm. she, she mentions, I was nominated, but I didn't feel comfortable doing this article until everything was set. But she mm-hmm. points to several different things, one of which that they had a year basically from the announcement of the nominations to when they actually broadcast it, but then they waited like a week beforehand to announce anything
1: mm-hmm. that
2: she, oh, I, I think I screenshotted a couple of things that I thought were really interesting. So let me bring those up really quick. Okay.
1: Um,
2: so the first it, thing, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, well, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, so this is an article on Forbes.com. Um, okay. One of the paragraphs that I—I've got two of these that I screenshotted. So the first one says the Tonys, however, are sending mixed me- messages, uh, which calls into question their purpose. If the goal is to move tickets, that's a tough sell with only three nominees planning to reopen. So that Mm -hmm. is uh, basically highlighting the fact that, you know, what are the Tony Awards for? They're to gain momentum for shows that are already on Broadway. They're to boost ticket sales for whatever. But because it's been so long and because of the pandemic, very few of the shows that were open are even coming back. So that's one, you know, and if that's the purpose, that's not going to happen. Then she says, if it's to celebrate as a community, that's a tall order when every communal event is canceled. And if it's to let America know that Broadway is open for business, you'd think they would have drummed up even a modicum of buzz more than a week out. And I thought that was really interesting. The second one that I found, let's find it. Was that the
1: Forbes one I sent you? That was Forbes. That was the Forbes one. That was the one uh written by Lee Seymour okay thank you okay mm-hmm. um so he, he then
2: he, he she they They also write, (laughs) uh, the way the league handled the Tonys demonstrates that they don't actually care about the Tonys other than for publicity. It's a horrible message to send that these awards don't matter unless we can leverage them to sell tickets from the governed by tweet announcement of a digital Tonys that was never spoken of again to determining the winners in March, but sitting on them for months so that they could artificially delay the results even further. I cannot believe this is the way our leadership feels about our industry's highest honor. That's in quotes. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, what do you think of that? I'll let you talk to it first.
1: It, I mean, I think my, my disappointment even goes back to, you know, when we did the nominations and we talked about how like this could have this, this could be like, like in my hopeful, like I'm always hopeful and optimistic mm-hmm. sure. that the theater will do the right thing. It's my nature for theater. Can't say for everything, but because I love the theater so <laughs> yes. much. Yes. <laughs> theater Even is I our unicorn. The totally. It's like, uh, like God and the theater have gotten yes. me through. I cannot tell you how many horrible things. Yes. Um, and so I I am optimistic and joy-filled about both. Yeah. <laughs> and so for the theater, even though it is a man-made entity and uh, it, it has so much power to it, I believe. And so when we when Pamela and I did the nominations, um, I had this hope, if you all listened to that episode, I was like, <laughs> well, it could be some sort of like, we talked about it could be some sort of like telethon type thing where- yeah. You know, we're raising money for people who've been out of work, and the theater workers who, you know, they're they're not; they still don't have jobs. You know, or yeah. even if they have jobs, they have to like back pay tons of rent or whatever. And and it could have been like this really um, beautiful sort of like coming together, like cohesive. Uh, thing that just brought people who have been super okay during the pandemic right. together with people who have not been okay, who have yeah. been doing the grunt work, who've been making masks and not making ends meet. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah.
1: You have a lot of costumers who are doing that. God bless them. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I, it like delaying everything and saying they were going to do one thing and not following through. And all of that just felt like, and the it's only an intermission thing, which was like right. wonky and didn't really create any sort of cohesiveness. And then all of a sudden, okay, we're coming back and we're going to do the show and we're going to tell you about it last minute. And you're going to have to be get behind a paywall to like see anything. I was like, this is completely disjointed. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like, some people are over here and I don't know, La La Land somewhere, and the rest of us are here on the ground. Like, where's the unity? Like, right. where's the understanding of how people are in pain and hurting and have right. been like, what? We're well, just going also, back and pretending nothing happened. For you also to say it's
2: only an intermission is such a crock of poo because for multiple reasons. One, yeah. Nobody knows when this pandemic is going to end. Nobody could have predicted that half of the country would be so divided with the idea that all they have to do is A, B, and C to keep this pandemic at bay. So they've been kind of keeping it even further fired on, right? So there's one. But also- Only an intermission means that at the second act, I'm gonna come back and still be employed, and still be alive, and still be healthy. And none of those three things is going to be true for everybody.
1: That's right. That's
2: right. So you, that's that right there. Oh, it made me so angry when I saw that. I was like, okay, let's not be delusional here. Yes, this is theater where we tell fairy tales, but let's not lie to lie to ourselves. And let's certainly not lie to the people that we, that we hope can rely on us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was maddening. Yeah. There was also another, and it might be in the Forbes.com, but it might be another one of the articles that you sent me. I wish that I had written it down. Everything in this brain today is complete jumble, but there was another, (laughs) another uh, piece that someone had written that was basically like in this time when we need to be coming together even more They're pitting us against each other in this competitive thing of, you know, actor Mm. against actor, who's going to win.
1: Yeah. I know.
2: I was like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Like, that, it's so true. You know what they should have done? Honestly, forget the Mm. awards and have your concert. Have the, con- cause I've seen some of the clips of the concert and some of that stuff is real powerful. I was crying,
1: mm.
2: you know, when, when Audra and Brian Stokes Mitchell were singing wheels of a dream together, that was beautiful. Mm. When Jennifer holiday came and sang, um, dream girls, like that was gorgeous. Yeah. Like, yes, those are powerful moments. Let's have that and just yeah. leave it at that. Let it be a celebration of theater and an anticipation that we are coming back. That was, that's, that's a- what it needed to have been. I, to- I I really agree. <sighs> I get heated about this because, well, you and I both, because we yeah. do care so deeply about theater mm-hmm. and what it has done for us as individuals and yeah. what we have seen it do for other people. Yeah. I remember, yeah. you know, watching from the stage during Wicked, even during the opening number, but also mostly during the closing number and looking out at mm-hmm. the theater and seeing people crying and people like their smiles and just the joy that theater brings and the feelings that it evokes in you. It's such a special thing and no show, even if it's the same show, no show is alike. So everybody's experience is completely different, even in one performance. And that is, that is something that cannot be bottled.
1: That is special. Yeah, it really is. I, as you were talking about Wicked, I I was thinking of two stories and one of them is post-pandemic. So there's this um, author, Jen Hatmaker, and she went to see Wicked. It was like her first show since COVID. Yeah. And she went to see it. And when the pandemic first began and I was listening to Broadway (laughs) radio one day and they were giving a list of like first lines from shows that will be like the most moving yes. when people come back. You yeah. know exactly what I'm about I to do. say. Of course
2: they do. And it's
1: when Glenda <laughs> comes down in her bubble and says, "It's nice to see me, isn't it?" And she said she and her two girlfriends burst into tears. Like yes. their faces just exploded and they were just <laughs> sobbing through the whole show. And and I and you know that that's the power of like theater bringing you together in this space that's filled with joy and also speaking truth even without like it doesn't even necessarily like it's not like uh when Stephen Schwartz wrote that he knew a pandemic was coming on (laughs) right he just was you know what I mean but it's like that line he wrote it it's well it meets you where you're at Yeah. Yeah. Whatever situation,
2: because she's Glinda enters in her bubble Mm -hmm. surrounded by what, and we are called mob. That's what we are called in that scene. We're happy that the witch is dead. We are Mm -hmm. celebrating the death of the wicked witch of the west right that is what Mm -hmm. we're doing at the very beginning of the show and she comes in in this middle of the celebration and says it's good to see me isn't it and and we are as mob we are we are exuberant to see her but each each one of us individually has a different reason why
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: She is our savior. She's the, she's the person that can talk sense to us. She's the person Mm -hmm. that can come in and create a new world for us where, because the wizard has left and the witch is dead. And now suddenly we need a leader, right? Like, so all of these different reasons why, but it's also from an audience standpoint. If she comes in and says, it's good to see me, isn't it? It can be Mm -hmm. because it's the first show you've seen since, since the pandemic hit. And that is truly an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. It can be because you just finished off your final chemo treatment and, and that this is the thing that you're celebrating with. It could be Mm -hmm. that you are at a girl's night and it's a special occasion and it's just fun. Like it doesn't have to be weighty. Yeah. It just, it, it, but it meets you and you, you said it, it speaks truth. These shows speak truth to you, even if it's not the same truth as the person sitting next to
1: you. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I think about the James Baldwin quote, who, when he talked about America and, uh, and when he talked about, um, america and because he loves america having the right to criticize her yeah incessantly because he sees the potential and so i think the both of us feel the same way about theater Because i know there's a lot of other podcasts that people want to listen to that are a lot more lighthearted. they don't talk about the things <laughs> that are necessarily going on in the world right. their escapism and i totally respect that but that's Absolutely. just not the people that we are and uh you know I, I respect when people want escapism, but that's just not this podcast. Um, we're talking about, we're talking about how much we love the theater and how much it needs to like step up and be better, do better and make better, make better. Um, another, so (laughs) as, as much as we are talking about like the things that, um, Are bothering us. There were some, (laughs) there were some things that happened during 2020 that we are seeing some fruits of. Um, and specifically, um, if you all remember, we see you white American theater and their list of demands, they have an accountability report and the accountability report is basically, um, a list of, uh, theaters across the country who have answered the demands of we see white American theater and they have put out pledges and they have stipulated the changes they're making and um the things that they're doing to make their theater and their community compliant and safer spaces for uh people not just people of color but also individuals within the LGBTQIA community and um people who have been uh, othered and sidelined for a very long time. A lot of theaters have, have, um, have stated what they're doing. There are some theaters and some shows uh, that have IDEA statements or pledges and actually aren't really doing that much. And you can tell things haven't really changed. Um, And That's also concerning, but I do encourage you to go to the We See You White American Theater website and go to the accountability report, because that is something that I found reading it that was encouraging. Awesome. Uh, Another thing that's also encouraging is what the Broadway Advocacy Coalition has been doing, and they've launched an equity workshop program for productions. Uh, I believe that Wicked is one of the shows that took part in that. There's a bunch of shows that have been taking part in their workshop. Um, and so that's also very, um, encouraging. And, uh, if you go on the Broadway, Broadway advocacy coalition workshop program for productions on Broadway news, yeah. Uh, it says the two day sessions will speak to a larger racial inequity within the industry, as well as issues specific to each production. Great. So I, I, you know, because each production is different, they will, um, sort of formulate it, for that production and what that production needs. And that's awesome. Awesome. Um, Another thing that I find that brings me hope is Karen Olivo. Hmm. Full stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Google her and everything that she has said and all the things that she's doing. That's it. That's the tweet. She's, I mean, Karen Olivo bottom line, she's putting her
2: money where her mouth is. And it's an incredibly brave thing to do, especially in this business because yeah. she's essentially blacklisted herself, you know? And I hope mm-hmm. that that's not actually the case. I I hope that this the, the theater community that uh, especially where the systemic issues are at hand, I hope that they can come to a place where they've gotten better enough that she can come back for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. she's
2: basically said, "I'm done. I'm done until you've changed. Until you do better, I will no longer be a part of this community." And it's a really brave yeah. thing to do.
1: It really is. It really is. Um, and I know that she and Eden Espinoza started a NFP. Um, do you know what the, what that's called? I meant to look that up. Before no, that's I'm okay. I can Google
2: up. it really quick while you're talking.
1: Okay. I'm going <laughs> to go on to the next point <laughs> while you do that. Yep. Um, okay. So another thing that's been giving me a lot of I will say hope, but also sort of like mixed feelings. And the only reason why the only reason why I say mixed feelings is because before the pandemic, when people of color, the global majority, were on stage, it didn't necessarily mean there was any health uh, of production, hmm. right? And so it didn't mean that these were safe spaces and it didn't mean that we really had equity and inclusion. It just meant there were black and Brown people on stage. That's what it meant. (laughs) And so um, Broadway's reopening also opened like seven shows uh, that were seven plays specifically written by um, black people. And so this is unprecedented. It's never happened before that it's been this many shows at one yeah. time. And so I do recognize that this is absolutely in answer to the racial reckoning that happened last summer. Yeah. Because this never would have happened without it. That's just no. facts. Yeah. They're straight facts. Um and also it's it's opened the opportunity for there to be like Instead of before the pandemic, where our numbers were at about five Black lead producers in the 200-year 200 his- 200 history of Broadway, we're probably up to about seven now, mm. uh, maybe eight. But I know for sure seven. Um, and for that to happen in one season, honestly, is still a big deal. Because Huge. when you look at the, the numbers, they're flipping abysmal. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but we've got a long way to go because friends, I want you to look at those numbers and see how indigenous people aren't even ranked. Like there's none. Um, and so the numbers are abysmal for black people, but we're actually number two and we're not even in double digits. I just, I need y'all to let that sink in. Yeah. We're the second most represented group of people, And we don't reach double digits when we're talking about percentages. Okay. So um, long way to go, but to see seven shows written by black individuals on Broadway gives me a a monicum, a glimmer of hope. Um, Also, if you go to Broadway for racial justice's website, they also list some, Uh, productions and organizations that are allied with BFRJ. um, And that's bringing me some hope. Great. Because allies
2: are the most important at this point. Black people have already been doing the work. Indigenous people have already been doing work. And until the, the white voices can support them They're not going to get anywhere. So allies are the most important piece in this puzzle right now, right at this moment, because we need to amplify those voices that have not been heard for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Full stop. And
1: then did you did you get the NFP, the name of it? Yes. It is called okay.
2: Affect A F E C T. Mm-hmm. It stands for Artists for Economic Transparency, which is an advocacy organization dedicated to empowering artists and countering the systemic oppression actors routinely experiences uh, experience of all places on Broadway. It's amazing. <laughs> they took no prisoners with the with the oh. title of that. I just love it so it's much. Amazing. They were like, you know what? We're not gonna we're not hiding behind any any political correctness here we're not hiding behind nope. pretty language this is what it is this is what it has been and this is what we're not going to take anymore
1: that's right I love it yeah me too I love it <laughs> um and then of course this one <laughs> I'm like is it a reckoning I don't know Scott Rudin Well, it is a reckoning AKA, as far as you're concerned. Right. AKA, you know, the devil. Um, <laughs> so he is no longer lead producer on The Music Man and no longer lead producer on To Kill a Mockingbird. On To Kill a Mockingbird, a man named Warren Wolf is now the lead producer on that. And I will say, um, I just, uh, I graduated last year from CTI which I've explained what that is. If you don't know what it is, you can Google it, friends. Um, <laughs> but he was one of the instructors and I have like a soft spot in my heart for him because he was so honest. It was like, awesome. he was like our first uh, instructor, like right after the pandemic just sort of blew everything up and he was so honest and we all loved him for it. Because honestly, not everybody was as honest and real as he was yeah. about what they were going through. And that what he had to say is what we needed to hear. yeah. Um, so that gave me a bit of hope just because I have a little bit of that background with him. Like now really? I don't know him personally. There are other people who might have different stories. I don't really know, but I will just say like, that's what I know of him. And so that gave me a glimmer of hope. Is he lead producing just *To Kill a Mockingbird* or is he doing both? He's only doing uh, to, kill a mo- *To Kill a Mockingbird*. *The Music Man* is actually uh, a lady who um, she does more shows over on the West End. Her name is Kate Horton. Awesome. So she's she's lead producer of *The Music Man* now. Okay. Yeah. Even though it's it states he's not lead producer, right? You can bet he's still an investor. Millions of his dollars are Mm -hmm. in those shows, right? And he also made the
2: contacts with the people that were investing as well. Yeah. The thing is, the reason why I think this is so important is it is Mm -hmm. because we are now calling to task his past behaviors, which have been monstrous and Mm -hmm. deplorable, treating Mm -hmm. people the way that he has treated them. And what we are saying as a community of people that are looking at it from the outside, we are saying this is no longer going to be tolerated. Yeah. So we don't want you. We don't want to see your name. We don't want to see you at the theater. We don't want to hear about you anymore. Yeah. So yeah, he might have something to do in the periphery, but Mm -hmm. I think it is a big deal that he's no longer the name behind it i think that's huge yeah yeah
1: um and it also looks like he's pulled out of a few films that he was um helming as well so interesting okay um we are we are not a film podcast although we both love movies (laughs) right so we won't go into the details of that you all can definitely google that and find out you know what that means for movies that he's producing but um you know There's, there's more people than just him who are abysmal and they also need to be called out. And I, I will, I will add though, that, you know, there are some individuals who, uh, where that's been happening, um, across the country, people who are in leadership, uh, of different regional theaters. And so, Mm -hmm. The ways in which they've treated people who've worked for them um, have been brought to task and questioned and investigated, and so that's a good thing that it's not just Broadway, but it's happening across the country. Yeah, um, and that that gives me a lot of hope that things can change. Also, now <laughs> there's some spaces in which, like, as we opened up this episode with, where there's lots of like. Change that still needs to happen. Yeah. And as we sort of alluded to, you know, the crime aspect, uh, Garth Drabinsky. Now, we definitely talked about him in a previous episode because the man was all over Broadway and actually was lead producer on the music first musical I ever saw on Broadway, Ragtime. Hmm. And he's coming back to Broadway and he's working on a show called Paradise Square. Now, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say much about Paradise Square specifically because I do have people I love in it. Um but I am really deeply concerned uh that this individual is coming back here. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. <laughs>
2: how maybe well
1: i'm very okay. curious <laughs>
0: i know
2: right okay <laughs> well here's the <laughs> challenge there's lots of challenges mm-hmm. one is he did do his time he was in jail for fraud mm-hmm. essentially among he other things not guilty just gonna say I, and i know i know i know and that's i mean that is one of the problems <laughs> but he did do his time he did the full sentence yeah the thing that I look at here is that no show is ever one person, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It takes a, a huge amount of people doing all of the cog and gear work to get it up and running. Right, right. And although he's a, he is involved in it, you just mentioned, you've got friends in it.
0: Mm-hmm, there
2: are... Mm-hmm. Hundreds, at least, people that all have their hands in this project at this point. And so I hesitate to throw it all away based mm-hmm. on this one person. Now, in the in the case of Scott Rudin, absolutely, he needs to go. He's, he, he's nothing but trouble. He's never uh, apologized. He's never done anything except to benefit himself in this situation. And so he's gone and I'm happy for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Garth hasn't yet shown me that he's still a criminal. So I kind of have to say, I'll I'll let you in until you prove to me that you're not worth it again. Does that make sense?
1: Well, it does, except that my there's things about him and things he's done to people who he works with and has even Agreed. on this show done... Yeah some abysmal yes. thing. He wasn't mistreating
2: was people like crap. Absolutely. Yeah. He was, he was mistreating people left and right. Yeah, I think. And, and I agree. Cause after reading that article too, I was like, Oh geez. I mean, he like, <laughs> it's so, it's so difficult to kind of look at this from a position where I can be objective because mm-hmm. everybody is on the spectrum of crap. Which is awful. It's awful. I I wish that you could just kind of start fresh. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're going to give grace to anybody, we have Mm -hmm. to offer it to everybody. Right. So I think that's the only reason I'm like, I'll let you. But I'm waiting for you to like make that first mistake. And then I'm like, no. Do you know what I mean? Does that make
1: sense? It it does. It's just that, like, I, I feel like I would be able to be in that place if he hadn't just like already been terrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just like, uh, why are you? You're like in this particular show. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, I, I, I will grant mercy to you if you have um made poor choices, and you are learning from those poor choices. Mm -hmm. And now you want to repent or you've done your time. That's very fair. You know what I mean? And you've said like, I'm sorry for the harm I've caused and for the things that I've done and you turn a new leaf. Like I, I, that's what I want. I mean, that's, that's my faith. Like that's what it, Mm -hmm. you know, but but okay.
2: And no, and I completely agree with you there. He hasn't done a lot since he got out of jail to really make me confident that he's turned a new leaf. Yeah. It seems that basically all the time he was in prison, he was still making money from these future investors to do paradise square, yeah. which was also, I, I guess, a project that he had been working on before he went to jail. Right. So that is problematic. That's very, I guess I'm looking at this as an overall that we're in this cancel culture you've heard the Mm -hmm. terminology before yeah which is a very kind of scary place to be right because it there's (sighs) I just watched this documentary that was produced by uh, Monica Lewinsky Mm. it was like the first victim of cancel culture right yes yeah She's an intern working for the president of the United States and she gets caught up in this affair consensual right It's disgusting because he's married and it should never have happened because Mm -hmm. he's in a power of authority over her. Mm -hmm. She's the one that was excoriated. She's the one that lost everything she could possibly have had. Right. Right. And at the time, even I was like, well, she deserved it. She should never have done that. Right. But really, when you step back to see the whole picture, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, that is that's awful. The whole, everything that happened in that scenario is absolutely awful. And it was misogyny and it was the patriarchy. And it was the fact that Bill Clinton was rich and she wasn't. Bill Clinton had power. She didn't. Bill Clinton had friends. She didn't. That's what it came down to. Oh, totally. And, and also because the internet had just happened. And so now everything is in the eyesight of everybody who wants to see it. Yeah. Disgusting. The whole thing is disgusting. Well, now. We're still dealing with that, except it's, it's heightened. It's to a point where one person, be it a real person or not, can Mm -hmm. accuse you of something. And then the whole world cancels you, whether or not you deserve it. So I think in my heart, I, of course, I want these people that have actually done stuff to pay and to like, not be able to come back to where they were, unless they're truly repentant and whatever. But who am I to judge that?
1: But he's so already I, I know. treating I know. people terrible. Like oh, that is that's, yeah, he's already okay. treating people terribly. That I didn't like know that. that I don't know. Was that in part two then? Maybe that hmm. was in part two. Because I just I, don't
2: remember reading that. I read all the I think there were even three parts, and I think I read everything, but I don't remember reading that.
1: He, and yeah, that I mean, that
2: doesn't mean anything. That just means that I didn't right. remember it. But
1: that that's the thing where it was like, if it had been If it had been in the past mm-hmm. and during the course of creating this show, you hadn't also been treating people terrible. Yeah. I would be like, again, merciful. Sure. But if it's like during the course of the making of this, you're doing some of the same. Sure. I no, I'm, love, I you know, I get you. I'm hearing it. And I agree. That's where... Uh, that, that's where it just feels like, like, you, how are you truly repentant? If mm. you are just maybe not even doing exactly the same things, but like, it's like a, a new thing. You've, you've, you're doing something different. It's yeah. still bad, but it's, <laughs> it's just different. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that, so that's where I'm a bit worried. Yeah. Um, for that.
2: It just all feels so precarious. Everything just feels so precarious. Like, you feel like if I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong action, if I, totally. if I'm, if, I, if someone thinks I'm being performative instead of genuine, it's like I, you know, you, you, you feel everyone kind of feels like they're just walking on yeah. glass because yeah. it does feel like there's this internal tension, but there's also yeah. an external tension. And so it's, it's almost like, I don't want to do
1: anything. I don't want to say anything because yeah. it doesn't.
2: Oh, uh, I don't know.
1: It's such a I'm difficult... into call in culture, not call out. Yeah. And ostracize, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like call
2: someone to accountability.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But don't just kick them out
2: completely. Like do, what that's... is the
1: benefit? What's Absolutely. the benefit in that? Because the benefit in that is like, they don't change. Right. And then they'll just be like, well, you know, what's the point? Because you just. Well, and, and also- you excoriated me. I'm not. You threw me away, and yeah. so then whatever reasoning they had for treating people terribly, it just gets in their twisted way, just gets like perpetuated. And they're like, well, this is why, this is why I say that because this is how people act, you know, Mm -hmm. it's reinforced, but in that scenario, also the other
2: monsters that surround that one monster that's been canceled are going to think of better ways to hide who they are and to mask their monstrosity. Yeah. And that's not good either. No, but it also, it shouldn't the, and, and this is, I think a result of living in America, our hmm. whole punitive system is based on this, right? We say it's about rehabilitation, but it's not, it's punishment. It's punishment yeah. for punishment's sake. No, you have to right. go to your room and you can't watch TV and you can't read your book. You just have to sit there and think about what you've done. That's what it is, right? Yeah. But that's not is. rehabilitative. No. No. What would be rehabilitative, and I read the story. I do not know any of the details, but it was so amazing to me to read the story, and it made me cry a little bit when I did. And this was ages ago, right? But it's, it's stuck with me. There's a tribe of people somewhere. <laughs> I can't remember where, Uh, but a tribe of people that I know you should, that if one person had done something quote unquote bad, if they had acted out in a way that was counterproductive to the community, what Mm -hmm, they would do mm -hmm. is surround that person and show them unequivocal love. They -hmm. would say, we know that you've done this. This is an awful thing for you to do, but please understand that we love you anyway. And he, these are all of the wonderful things that you have brought to this community and why, Mm. why you are important to us as a whole. Mm. I'm going to cry right now. (laughs) So good. It is good. And that's what we need to be doing. And honestly, I mean, in all of the Bible, that's what we are supposed to be doing.
1: It is. Yeah.
2: If all, if we don't take anything else away from what we've read in the old and new Testament. Jesus wants us to, A, love him, B, mm-hmm. love our neighbors. Yeah. And why are we having so much trouble with that right now? I, I wish that I knew the answer,
1: but that's really I kind actually, of. I actually, I've been thinking about this um, because I think it comes down to understanding that you are loved. Oh, oh oh, that just hit me in the
2: right smack dab in the middle of my heart. Wow. Because
0: you're I, right. We project
2: yeah. on other people the way we feel about ourselves. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Let me just sit with that for a second.
1: <laughs> that's powerful. That, that's I, just some things that I've been through and have seen over this last year and a half some not even COVID related, Hmm. um, have, have made me think about that. Like, I think that's the core. I think that's the core of so many issues. Um, and, and that one in particular, because if you don't, you know, it's like, we talk about all the time, like, especially with like self-care, like just needing to be filled up, Enough so that you can pour out and all of that, mm-hmm. but it's like if you don't, at your core, know that you're loved. Yeah, how can how can you love others? Yeah. What is RuPaul's tagline for RuPaul's Drag Race? I don't know the the <laughs> only kidding. thing I I I love about the uh, the only thing only quote I remember because I like. <laughs> I can't say, I can't say it on will be an explicit episode. Uh, maybe you'll be, you'll bleep it out. Um, because it's like one of my favorite tweets is like, I always try to come from love, but sometimes you just have to break it down. for you. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite.
2: That's pretty brilliant. Oh, he, he, this is what <laughs> RuPaul says on the drag race. He goes, okay. if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? That's and right. then he says, can I get an amen? <laughs> and everyone says, amen. And then the whole show credits run. But, but that's it. it. That is it. That is it. If you can't love yourself, yeah. how can you love somebody else?
1: Yeah.
2: If you truly don't believe that you are lovable, how can you believe that someone truly loves you? Yeah.
1: The Mama this Ru quote one. was a really good way to end. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy her, and I she's a hundred percent correct. So she is. she is. I think we're just gonna end Fly it with off. that, and Pamela will bleep out the other <laughs> Mama Ru quotes. <laughs> 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 I said yes, I will. <laughs> Can I get an <laughs> amen? <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast theater geeks anonymous you can follow us on instagram and twitter at tgab way and on facebook at theater geeks anonymous don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the theater geeks anonymous podcast on the broadway podcast network and all your favorite
2: podcast listening apps
1: your intermission sode has now concluded shut up sit down and
2: turn off your cell phones or we'll tell patty lapone